All right, welcome to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, we've got two awesome humans on the show, one being Matt, who is a professor, researcher, and writer specializing in the application of neuroscience and psychology to the business world. Matt received his PhD in cognitive psychology and neuroscience from Princeton University in 2013. He regularly regularly provides expert opinion and thought leadership on a range of topics related to the human side of business, advises both startups and large brands, and has served as an expert in resident to Nike's innovation team in Portland. Prince started his first company while attending UC San Diego. Next, he was the founding head of marketing at one of the earliest automotive e-commerce platforms, which was awarded the title of one of the fastest growing companies in America for three consecutive years by Inc. Magazine. And he's also contributor to news outlets, including Forbes, The Washington Post, Inc., Entrepreneur, and focuses on neuromarketing within an ethical framework. Both Matt and Prince are professors at the Halt International Business School in San Francisco and recently co-authored Blindsight, the mostly hidden ways marketing reshapes our brains. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us, Mark. Hey, thank you for having us. Yeah, super stoked to be on. It's This is fun. I mean, obviously you, you guys, you know, there's a friendship there and I, I'd love to get into that. But like this combination to co-write a book like this for with your backgrounds just seems super fun like how how did how did that all begin like where did you guys meet what's the story yeah so it's it's uh it's it's a really interesting question how this book actually came to be in the world so prince and i come to this topic of marketing with with very very different perspectives so for me i come from the world of science i come from the world of academia that's what my original uh, experimental phd was in and for me I'm, i'm fundamentally driven by Curiosity. Uh, I'm really, sure. really curious about why we do the things that we do, what makes us tick. That ultimately led me into the world of science. And really for my the bulk of my 20s, it was labs and libraries. Um, so <laughs> I, was, I was really trying to uncover this from the standpoint of science. I was trying to do research on these things. I was putting people in uh, fMRI machines, functional magnetic resonance imaging, and eavesdropping on the brain as they were doing certain tasks and trying to understand how the brain uh, produces these types of, of psychological experiences. Uh, and for me, there really wasn't any clear application in mind. I was really fundamentally driven just by the curiosity of it all. Uh, when I finished my uh, my PhD thesis, uh, I actually put a $20 bill in the physical thesis, which is sort of this, this traditional uh, thing you do once you finish your thesis, you put it in this special part of the library. And I put a $20 bill inside my physical thesis. And I guarantee you to this day, it is still there and safe because nobody reads these things. They don't, they don't <laughs> really exist in terms of, of manuals or, or, you know, practical guides. And, and I was totally fine with that. And I really relished that. Um, and then uh, life has sort of a funny way of, of circling back to, to certain types of friendships and, and certain types of people in your life. And that was that was Prince. And so when we really, you know, came to, to work together and, and sort of rekindle our friendship from undergrad, uh, we were just kind of nerding out on marketing and, and nerding out on, on human psychology and really found that that you know, we're really interested in fundamentally the same things, which is understanding and predicting human behavior. Uh, but Prince just comes at it from a very, very different perspective. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I like to say I like to say Matt uh, hit out the uh, the Great Recession by going to grad school, and I had to continue working. Is what was what the difference really yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> totally. uh, I mean, the, the destination ended up being the same, but the journey was completely different. Um, my GPS led me through uh, working at startups, and luckily enough, I was able to work at startups and have a leadership role early on. And what that gave me uh, was freedom to test different marketing. Uh, tests. And, uh, and I gravitated towards psychology and neuroscience research. So um, I devoured, uh, I devoured every pop psych, pop neuroscience, I, pop almost dumbs it down too much. Any of those books that came out for that 10 year period. Um, and, uh, and I even read gasp, abstracts even though abstracts <laughs> after reading Whoa. so many abstracts, I want to kill myself, but that's, yeah. that's, but you know, you have to do it. Um, but, but abstracts are like, the back of Matt's hands, right? Like he, he goes through abstracts like nothing. It's just, that's his vernacular. That's his word. That's his world. And what I, what I did was take these lessons from these abstracts and these pop psych books, and I got to test them immediately in the real world. So in the business world. Um, so I, you know, so I was the opposite of labs and libraries, you know, like I was, I was, uh, I was out there testing and seeing what works and failing. And, and luckily enough, I was able to do it at a startup level and then able to do it at a much bigger publicly traded company level. And literally hadn't seen Matt in 10 years. And we get our 10,000 hours in two different aspects of human behavior. And then we come together in San Francisco years later. And all of a sudden it's like this, that moment. You know, that little perfect little, uh, oh man, you are what I've been missing and vice versa, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's, and that's where this neuromarketing class, masterclass certification, all these ideas came up. And then we decided to write this book because like Matt, I'm driven by curiosity, but a lot changed as well. And, and, and as a marketer, it, it, it sucks because now my mission really is to bridge this weird gap of trust between marketing experiences and consumers. Um, and we can get into that later on as well, Mark, because I think, I think it does play into yeah. our lives day to day. It does play into our lives day to day. Well, I'm, I'm glad you shared that because I, I was going to ask you like, okay, so you're sitting together staring in, into each other's eyes and decided, <laughs> you know what, the best thing we can do right now is write a book. We've all got plenty of free time. It's, this seems like an easy thing to do, right? <laughs> oh yeah, it's easy. Yeah. I mean, it, Matt's, you know, uh, we both have different versions of our personal brand that we can turn on and calibrate to the audience. And uh, and I think one of the bigger challenges was even with people like Matt and I who've known each other for 10 plus years to be able to calibrate our personal brand into a singular personal brand that comes across in a book that is optimized for people actually reading it and it hitting somewhere in the heart or the brain, you know, and, and, and that was sort of a big part of uh, that journey together as well. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. So how did it, I mean, let's, I, we'll jump into the book content shortly, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious just, you know, for anyone listening that whether it's a book or a project or just working, you know, in a cohesive manner, I feel like people would be interested in something like that. Like what, what steps did you have to take or how, how are you able to let go? I guess in essence, you know, some, some parts of yourself to kind of form this, this unified person, right? Essentially writing writing a book together. 
absolutely yeah so if you read if you read the book now i mean it, it sounds obviously like it's, it's a single person but it didn't always sound like that so uh if you read some of our earlier drafts like people that know us we would you know give these drafts and just interested in their their opinions on them like oh this is definitely like a prince paragraph this is definitely a matt paragraph <laughs> and and so a lot of the the challenge there was really smoothing this out and, and coming across as a a coherent voice and and so i think one thing that really helped there was uh you know essentially inventing this this voice you know what is this you know person essentially that we're, we're coming off as uh and and how do we want to convey that and so it was really coming together and and you know creating a brand voice and that allowed us to have this this uh strategic uh sort of anchoring to be able to execute in terms of the writing and i think another thing there that was really helpful is is having a, a pretty clear division of labor as well uh, so sure. my my sort of role was primarily on on the science, the neuroscience, obviously, princes in terms of the the, the intellectual drive case really on case studies and, and marketing examples. Obviously, you know, every rule is meant to be broken. So, you know, Prince would, you know, point out a you know interesting study and I would point out an interesting case study. And there'd be, you know, obviously overlap. We didn't have a you know a strict adherence to these things, but that was sort of our general division of labor, which I think, you know, really helped things along. And I think foundationally, Mark, one of the things that helped was a simple question. What is our North Star? And our North yeah. Star really was, uh, who is this book for? No matter sure. our, our creative differences, what one thing we both had in common was who we want to read this book. And the answer was, frankly, everyone who reads nonfiction books, right? Everyone who's, who read Freakonomics and liked it, and even though they don't care about economics before or after that, anyone who read Thinking Fast and Slow. So once we committed to that North Star, that was at least the guiding principle that helped clean up all the other things. It really did. And it's, it's funny. I mean, yeah. I'll tell you a funny joke. There's so much of my rated R comedy that got cut down and I'm not even mad about it. Right. <laughs> and, and then there's, and then there's so much of Matt's uh, uh, pedantic opposite of, of, of rated R comedy that got cut down. So like, I think we came together with a very nice PG 13 book that will help people understand their consumer brain so much better. And it's not going to intimidate the crap out of them despite all the research that went into it. Yeah. I, that's so so well put. I mean, you know, I'm holding the book at, at, as we speak now, and it's just, it's just chocked full of, of kind of those like wow moments, and just wow. I feel you know equipped, obviously, to to at least enter and, and continue through the world with a little bit more perspective. I think, right? So I, I'm curious, like, just given why don't you why don't you first just give like a, a brief summary of, of what it's all about and then i'd love to understand um just in the era that we're living uh in right now it's just this this pandemic world where there's so much information that gets thrown at us that i personally feel like okay well what's like what's what's real what's not like do you fall you go down this path that path like there's just so many elements at at play right now yeah and i couldn't help think about your book while going through <laughs> that so or continuing to go through that so yeah why don't you just touch on that yeah the pandemic i mean we didn't plan to release a book during the pandemic i'll i'll, I'll give a summary of the book uh and then sure. Matt, you can jump in on just just how crazy it is the application of it in the pandemic so the book is uh, written for anyone who's a consumer. And we're all consumers. Whether you hate being your consumer selves, you are a consumer. And it's really how the marketing world, the business world, flirts with, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, with your neuroscience, right? So we call that neuromarketing. 
Um, so it's, it's, but really it's a book about yourself. We're going to explore the psychology behind what you buy, why you buy it, but really all these case studies and it's written in a way for you to reflect on yourself. Why do I wait in line for a damn iPhone every single year? Why is it that I liked Ant-Man too, even though it was a trash movie until the very end and I still liked it. Like all, why is yeah. it that shades of gray became the first BDSM pop book why is it that why is it why is it why is it and then why do i like it why do i consume it why do i talk about it it's going to make you reflect on yourself through all the different purchases you've done with that said matt covid <laughs> yeah yeah it's you know definitely we didn't write the book you know to be released in a pandemic i think it's probably a, an easier time to write a book than a, in a pandemic than to release a book in a pandemic sure but, you know that's we'll, we'll next next pandemic we'll, we'll time it a little bit better maybe um but yeah i mean i think i would i would definitely echo that that you know it's really written for the general consumer obviously we've had you know interest from from marketers and we've had marketers reach out that really enjoy it and and you know there's a lot that can be gleaned in terms of practical application of the ideas um but really in terms of the the core uh, driver of it. it. It really is for people, just as you said, Mark, to really understand themselves a bit better in the consumer world, sort of questioning their own behavior a little bit and really having some insights as to why they do the things they do in the consumer world. Uh, there's definitely a version of a, a book like this that would be very sort of anti-marketing, very sort of anti-capitalist even. Uh, and that wasn't really the goal. I mean, really wanted to, to give people a level of self-awareness within the consumer world because one, it helps consumers hold marketers uh, to account in terms of their their ethical practices and secondly it really gives you a deeper appreciation for really the potency and the power of marketing uh just by having for example a, a nike logo on your your golf driver you hit the ball reliably farther uh yeah. you know if you have they've done experiments where you have you know a generic golf driver you have the exact same physical golf driver but you have a nike logo on it and the nike one will win all day long and that is is down to all of the amazing branding that a big company like Nike has does the bil literally billions of dollars that they have spent to architect the associations in your brain, and that that is you know speaks to clearly the power of marketing, but also just the the sort of debt we owe marketing in terms of the amazing experiences they're they're allowing for us as consumers. So really, the book was written to unearth all of these hidden interactions that I don't think we really think about so much in our day to day lives as consumers. It's what I said earlier. It's about rebuilding this trust between consumers and marketers, right? Uh, it, this book shows uh, how the sausage is made, not so that the uh, the consumers can hate on the sausage maker, but so they can appreciate partially how much work that goes in there. And of course, yeah. there's some shady sausage makers out there. So hopefully you can call them out. But ultimately, it's, it's truly finding an appreciation for all the hard work that goes in there, but also at the same time being aware of when it's not ethical. So there's that there's that line that we tried to walk. Well, I did I did want to ask you about that line because I I can only imagine. I mean, you've both worked with big brands, you know, in the past, and I imagine uh, still to this day, right? So, like, you know, how 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 did you navigate that line? And I guess are you getting any? Is there have you seen any pushback with, with some of the brands? I imagine no, like given the way you you position the book, but thought I'd ask. Uh, great question. We haven't gotten any pushback, but we knew going in there that after we write this book, we're never getting a job at Facebook. Neither do we want to. <laughs> yeah. So there were definitely there were definitely some self-inflicted uh, L's that we were like, okay, this is how we're you know. Um, yeah. But for the most for the rest of the book, the, the, the truth is, 
a lot of marketers don't know this, right? You have to be at the echelon of, you know, Facebook, Coca-Cola, Nike. Um, you have to be at that echelon where they actually have 10 mats on staff and 10 princes on staff and people who have been doing this longer than us, you know, social neuroscientists, social psychologists and marketers know how to put it all together to truly know this stuff. So a lot of mid-level companies don't know this. So, they, they're, so they're actually appreciative of the fact that, oh man, I didn't realize this is why my AB test worked. Right. So there's that piece. Yeah. But no, not a lot of pushback yet. I think marketers are appreciative and I think consumers are appreciative. A lot of like we've had people come back to us who are physical therapists and go, I just took a neuroscience of pain class and your book gave me a crazy different perspective on it. We've had screenplay writers that write for ABC, read our book and go, what? This is giving me a whole different ideas of how to craft a character. Right. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's taking on a life of its own, which Matt and I are like, hands off, do it. You know, this we wrote this. It's out in the world. Let's just see how the world receives it. Love it. What would be some just right off the cuff, kind of some practical examples that we could leave uh, everyone listening that, you know, you could think that would be kind of day to day or, you know, somewhat frequent situations, right? Where we can, because what I'm hearing from you guys is like this, this theme, and I talk about this all the time when it comes to mental fitness, but you're mm -hmm. essentially helping people jump out of autopilot, right? And just like yeah. slow down and think a little bit. So I'd love just if you have any examples or any prompts or whatever that we can that we can try to apply um, and then go further down the road. Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of this you mentioned autopilot, this this really uh, very literally comes up in uh, the digital world. So in, in the digital world, a lot of platforms, a lot of apps, a lot of uh, social media places, these are really designed to, to keep us as, as long as possible because these businesses are really reliant on what's called the time on site business model where they're not, you know, you don't pay for Facebook, you don't pay for Instagram, you don't pay for YouTube usually, uh, but you pay in terms of your attention. And, and so once that, that incentive is in place in terms of what the business is doing, then they are really, really motivated to keep you on site longer and longer and longer. Uh, and that means trying to remove all of the natural stopping places. And so YouTube very literally created the autoplay feature uh, where you used to have to go on YouTube and you'd watch a, a video of, I don't know, cats rolling around, chasing each other, riding on monkeys or pigs or whatever YouTube is, is doing these days. <laughs> uh, and then you'd like literally have to click on the next video and, and you'd have to click on the next video and then you'd have to watch that video and click on the next video, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And YouTube discovered that they could just have the next most likely recommended video just play autoplay after this first one. So now the onus is on you as a consumer not to click the next video, but now you have to stop the next video. And so that becomes the default option uh, for you to choose as a consumer is actually choosing not to watch the next video. And that little bit of extra mental effort uh, keeps people online longer and longer and longer. And so there's tons of these types of autoplay features. You look at uh, any, any sort of app that has a scrolling feature, you have the infinite scroll feature, you just go longer and longer and longer and longer on it yeah. because there's no natural stop. It's like running a, a marathon and there's no mile markers. There's no signs telling you've run two miles, four miles, six miles, eight miles, you, you know, stop or not. Maybe once you feel completely exhausted, uh, but there's nothing to show you sort of where, uh, where you are. And, and that's completely disorienting and that's completely by design. 
Hey, just wanted to thank you for being here. And if you're enjoying the show, drop us some lovely stars wherever you're listening. They really make a huge difference. Also, after requests from you, I've put together some mental fitness training packages in collaboration with Thrive Medicine. I'll work directly with you to help implement and personalize practices and routines to ensure your mind is thriving. Shoot me a message directly or check out the link in the show notes. Thank you as always and back to the show. So is it a matter of, because I, you know, you hear this, this all the time with social media, but I mean, is it a matter of just going in with your own boundaries or being conscious about that and, and taking that extra time? Or are there other, other ways you're seeing uh, people succeed in this? Because it's like whenever we, it's like society is set up against us, whether it's nutrition um, or like social media, it's like we always have to be like at our at top of our game to be able to, you know, not get sucked down the the flow of, of whatever it is, right? Like eating like garbage or, you know, scrolling forever. I mean, so, so the first hack is turn off autoplay on all of your autoplay consumption apps, first and foremost. Secondly, yeah. is understanding the implication of something called the Zignaric effect, right? And the Zignaric effect is what neuroscientists call, it's, it's, it's a term given for the feeling of unfinishedness, okay? Mm. Uh, this is when you're lacking a mental odometer, okay? This is, uh, it, it, this is what is one of the many different psychological variables playing on this, but, but this one's huge because it, you never feel like you get to a mental stopping point. Um, and that's what keeps you re-engaged, right? Imagine going into a race without a finish line. I don't know if you would stop. Right. So, and that's the thing. And that's yeah. where you apply that to your unlimited scrolling and it's like slurping on pasta with no end. Right. Like you've got <laughs> all spaghetti, <laughs> no sauce because it's yeah. worked. And, and this is a 100% designed element. So, and, and you said earlier, Mark, it feels like the society's designed against us. I think it's these apps that are designed against us. And it's not like the, all these people are evil. I don't think that they truly understand the psychological implications of the UX design. And I think yeah. one of the things I really do hope that designers read blindside because it does get under your skin about the ethical implication of this stuff. Right. So, so, so I guess that's, that's my intro on the Zignar effect, but really the, the, the hack there is create your own mile markers. You have a freaking Apple watch. If you have one, you have your stupid phone that you may love and hate. Well, tell it, set a timer for 15 minutes and then go indulge in scrolling. But that 15 minute timer is your mile marker to stop scrolling. Go go back to whatever the hell you were doing before. Right. They're yeah. not going to create these mile markers for you because they're monetizing your eyeballs. Cause you know, uh, it, Walmarts and the Nikes of the world are paying hundreds of millions of dollars for them to put themselves in front of your eyeballs on these apps. So until that happens, create your own mile markers. Yeah. Well, I, I and I am somewhat hopeful or optimistic. I mean, as we're recording this, uh, at least in Canada, the, um, what is it? I think it's uh, social dilemma or social that I'm sure you guys mm, heard of that documentary mm, mm. that just came out on Netflix. Um, you know, and I, I feel like there's, there are more and more, people like that I, I believe on that show like the i think what was the autoplay guy and like infinite scroll person like they're they're coming out saying hey like this wasn't necessarily what we're going for right or at least it you know wasn't designed to be super evil at the beginning 
Uh, I've had um, Chris Messina on the show before too, who uh, essentially invented the hashtag, um, which, you know, is it was invented for pure, you know, out of, out of pure need at that point to just organize conversations, which, you know, in a sense, it's done a lot of good, but there's also, I'm sure, you know, it being used for a lot of evil purposes. So it's like, I feel like that the the balance or the conversation right now or the theme is really around just the balance of of all of this, right? You know, like you said, like it's not all companies that are are doing this stuff to be evil, but we we do need to know what's going on. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it, it's funny. It was this and the Cambridge Analytica documentary that blew up our inboxes. Hey, have you seen the social dilemma? I was like, no, I haven't seen it. Yeah. But I know it's it's uh, it's Tristan Harris's company and just Tristan Harris. And he's very well known in the Bay Area um, as one of the people who was the first one from the inside of a tech titan to point this out, right? So, you yeah. know, he's, he's, he's sort of very well respected and known in this culture. But being part of the Bay Area culture here as well, you know that it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a true hustler, startup, entrepreneur uh, DNA, which means Go do it and see what happens. Yeah. What the problem is, is now Facebook and other companies like Facebook are no longer that startup, right? They, they don't get to break these rules without any, without any knowledge of the implications. So I do believe, though, that they were trying to just get engagement. And that's a metric that raises money, engagement. But they sure. know beyond that now. Right. So it's, it's no longer that conversation. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm imagining I'm just reading outside of this tech startup, I'm, I'm seeing, so Matt and I teach Gen Z kids all the time. And we don't envy our freshmen. We don't envy that when they were in PE class, they fell and someone recorded it and now they're trending and they're a meme. Do you know what that has to do to your mental health? Yeah. Matt and I fell in class or got dunked on, not dunked on, crossed over playing basketball in PE. That was it. Right. It wasn't it sure. wasn't on Bleacher Report the next day. But imagine what that has to do to you when you're 14, 13 years old and it's got to mess with you. So, I mean, I, I've, I've seen I've seen uh, self um, what I, uh, depression, obviously, is, is through the roof. But I think suicide rates are up amongst amongst uh, teenage teen, teenage girls. And I'm, I, I don't know this. So don't quote me on it. I'm assuming this tech thing has a lot to do with it. I'm assuming that when uh, Matt's son grows up and tries to get into an R-rated movie at the age of 12, he won't be able to, right? Or if he was yeah. if he was 12 now, he wouldn't be able to buy a video game that was violent. But guess what? He can go download an app and who knows what's on the app, right? And, yeah, and there's, no, totally. there's, there's, no advice, there's no parental advisory on an app and there's no addiction sticker on the app. When in, in effect, we know this firsthand, what we've invented is a platform that without the nicotine is equally addictive, arguably more so. Totally. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I just, I just feel really grateful that, I mean, A, you guys took the time to write something like this and you're taking the time to speak with me and that there are obviously others as well, you know, trying to push this, this conversation forward so that, yeah, you know what, we can benefit from the technology advancements and the things that are out there, but in a, you know, responsible and more ethical way. I mean, that's, that has to be the baseline of it, which it historically 
it's like you, you just unleashed all of this stuff with zero like operating manuals you know just <laughs> <No>. go <laughs> everyone just go and figure it out here we are right you just can't claim to be an ethical company if you don't understand the psychology or the psychological response yeah. that is happening in your customer's mind you know you don't get totally. to hide behind engagement and we were like startup people in the garage well now people are killing themselves right now yeah. people are showing up and people are finding uh, all this crazy fake news and now they're acting on it and now you know there's 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 blood on people's hands but here's the thing it's it, it, one thing mark is is yes we can sit there and eventually wait for public policy to catch up public policy is super lost but i think senators are now getting really scared because they realize the implication of this right um but i think one thing we don't talk about enough is the consumer's role in this right um your listeners are going to digest this podcast without having to pay a penny and somewhere where this podcast is hosted someone has to make money off of it right so it's probably mm -hmm. going to be apple Podcasts with ads or stitcher or slacker radio whatever that is us as consumers have been spoiled for two decades now with free. And yeah. I think now we are truly understanding the price of free. And, and this is one of the things we talk about in the book is there's no such thing as free lunch on a free app. You know, you're lucky mm -hmm. if you gave your data away to a US company and even then look at how much Facebook can get away with it. You're extremely unlucky if you gave your data away to some, some app and, you know, insert Eastern European or Asian country here because they own that. And I yeah. think we don't put enough onus on the consumers. You, me, Matt, everyone else who's a consumer, who's on IG, who's on Pinterest, we sort of have a role to play in our own protection as well. And, and that's, I'll pay for shit that is not free. Just don't do anything with my data. Right now, companies like Facebook know there's a lot more money to make with the attention ads model, right? Because their clients are Walmarts and Nike. And guess what? Walmart and Nike is has way more money than Matt, you and I do. But you know, they're not ready to give away that piece of the pie. Now they know how big that pie is. And here we are. We're not even asking for, I'll pay a dollar a month. I'll pay $5 a month for Instagram or WhatsApp. We're not saying that. Until we say that, you know, there's only so much we can complain about. They're not nonprofits. Yeah. They're gonna make money. Yeah. So unless you're willing to pay them money, they're not going to. And Facebook culturally is stuck on that model. Um, other companies may not be, and there's, you know, there's possible alternatives, but we're not asking for it. It's like organic food in the States. If you're not asking for organic food, they're not going to make organic food or sell organic food. Yeah, we have, we have to push that. I, I agree. And I mean, having come, you know, from the digital app space not too long ago with, with, uh, yeah. Keo and our, our, our journal, like, I mean, essentially yeah. it, it succeeded in, in, in many different ways, but failed financially because of essentially what you just brought up. Like everyone's used to free. And mm -hmm. I remember when we, when we first launched, it was like this big, I mean, you guys, you guys know you work for the, you've, you've been in startups or you've worked with them. It's like, you pour everything into it. Right. And like the first comments coming in, like, how, how come you didn't release this? And really I'm like, oh man, like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> like <laughs> we just got this thing out the door, which seems like a miracle. And first, and you're not, first of all, you're not even paying for it. Right. You're not yeah. on a subscription of any, and, and you're already asking for another five, you know, features that, you know, God knows how much will, will cost down the line. So it's like, there's, there's a there's the, there are the businesses obviously that are 
you know, kind of feeding into that. And then there's, there's just us as consumers that are, have become used to uh, a free model. You know, I have to catch myself too, even having been on the other side of it when I'm looking at, you know, if I'm looking for some sort of fitness app or something like, okay, well, what, you know, what's out there? What, you know, what's, what are the price points and stuff like that? And just, well, wait a second. Like, (laughs) you know, let's not forget about what's behind this. Yeah. It's really hard. So, I mean, I wanted to ask both of you just, you know, when it comes to, and and this, this is kind of pivoting into some of the mental fitness, but when it comes to keeping your minds clear or clear enough to be able to, you know, see when this is happening, because I mean, you guys are more educated on the topic than, than, than most obviously, but still, you know, your day to day is surrounded by this stuff. So I'm, I'm curious to see what you're doing in your own days and routines just to, to lift some of that mental fog of everyday life, just so you can see when this stuff is happening. Yeah, I think what are, one of the main things here, you know, really in all the interactions, whether it's in, you know, the digital environment with digital products or, or otherwise, if you happen to be, you know, walking through a retail space is is trying to maintain a level of self-awareness. Um, so there, there's going to be elements within your uh, environment uh, that are, are designed to persuade you and designed to get you to, to think a certain way or, or make a certain behavior uh, more likely. And sort of just understanding that that is the case in all these environments can help you to, to sort of think twice about them. Uh, I think it's, it's especially the case within the digital environment, as, as we've just been talking, uh, where th- these, these apps and these platforms are really designed to keep us online as, as long as possible. It can be obviously a great experience just, you know, scrolling through Instagram or whatever the case may be. But the difficulty is, is that we reliably do this more than we want to. You look yeah. over, you know, the day, two days, three days, and it's like, well, what do you regret the most over this period? And it's like, oh, man, I can't believe I wasted all that time. You enjoy it in the moment, in the short term, but you end up regretting it in the long term. And I think having these types of reflections on your own consumer experiences can can really help you to uh, make choices which are more in line with your long term happiness. So clearly, you know, go 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 ham, go you know, scroll through Instagram or LinkedIn or Twitter, whatever the case may be, or scroll through the news even. Um, but then reflect on, you know, how these choices and these behaviors really affected your happiness over the span of the week. And if it didn't make you so happy, then uh, it, it's worth, you know, trying to think about how you can modify that behavior. So I think self-awareness is certainly one. And along with that, trying to understand how these, these types of consumer experiences really impact your idiosyncratic happiness. Do do you have any practices? Yeah, uh, tactically speaking, do you I do, do, you, do you set I some do. time to do that? Okay. Yeah, I do. I'll give you one, but I think I think it's it'll it'll uh, it'll resonate more uh, once I think Matt, if you explain availability bias and really just how much uh, how much mm. we're privy to it, and I'll tell you my hack against availability bias, and I think that that's a good place, especially when you talked about news, Matt. That availability availability bias is all over. Yeah, so this is is, is something where uh, really when it comes to us understanding how often something happens or how frequent something happens, we're, we're really easily confused by uh, the ease in which we're able to bring this to mind. So we really confuse uh, how easy something is to bring to mind with how common it is. We confuse easiness with reality, 
effectively. Uh, okay. And so this is obviously going to be really, really detrimental and is going to warp our worldview, especially when it comes to negative events. If we're watching the news, what's on the news is only a small sliver, a small, very biased sliver of the total events happening in the world. And it tends to be the most catchiest, most heinous, if it bleeds, it leads types of types of stories. And of course, then if you're thinking to yourself, well, how violent is the world right now? How, how much crime is actually happening? All of these very highly salient, uh, very heinous types of, of uh, you know, crimes and activities are going to stand out in our mind. Uh, and yet when they you know, measure violent crime year after year, it actually has gone down precipitously. But if you ask people how, how violent a world it is right now, people tend to think it's going up and up and up and up. Uh, and so this really speaks to not only the fact that we tend to go on these apps a bit more than we want to and look at the news and glue to the news more often than we want to, but it also tends to warp our worldview as well. Yeah. And, and you know, the easier something is to bring to mind, the more common it feels, it's that feeling, as opposed to the objective data, which has been flying against that feeling. And my hack for that, but before we get into the hack, one thing I want to say is that PR, like think about what PR is. They're supposed to be um, an, a business of, of spreading news, but really, it, there's, there's, whether advertently or inadvertently, they're peddling availability bias. Here's what's hot right now, and mm-hmm. we're going to talk, all of our writers want to write about this. Oh, it's no longer trending. We've moved on, right? Yeah. Um, and, and with that, and that feeds into, and that gets distributed through all these networks that we're all addicted to, right? Um, so the one thing I use is, is kind of a totem for me is be self-aware, but use this little hack, is anytime you feel like, ooh, this is everywhere. That's not a way to confirm whatever you feel is everywhere. It's more a reason to question. So use the feeling of it's everywhere as a trigger to pause and reflect. Because we all, self-awareness can solve a bunch of the world's problems, I think. But self-awareness is also a little bit of a cop-out because if you all had the ability to trigger that part of us that was self-aware, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. So one of the things that I've worked on is how can I trigger myself into self-awareness even when I'm not in it? And I think, is this everywhere? Question it. That's my hack because that's your way against availability bias. Uh, You couldn't have said any better. I mean, and you know, I don't want to make this a, a pandemic podcast or, and I'm also not degrading the, uh, the severity of what's going on in the world, but I have been really, really surprised with just society in general and how it's like, just go down this path, and not ask any questions. So, I mean, I think this is a perfect example of something that can be used present day right now and in, in what we're going through, but then obviously uh, for everything else. So I, I appreciate that. That's, that's super helpful. I, I've got yeah. another one for you, Mark, if, yeah. if you would have it. Um, but just like the last one, Matt, can you do a summary of confirmation bias? Cause I think that's a good one as well, since we're talking about these biases. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely when we are, are consuming information, consuming news, consuming content online or wherever it is, uh, we sort of naturally have a, a propensity to, uh, uh, read things in a way which confirm our existing belief. So changing our mind is, is really, really difficult. We have law of least mental effort. We don't like to think more than we do. We certainly don't like to think about our belief system and modify our own belief system. And so when we're uh, consuming something, we tend to perceive it in a way which cons- confirms our existing beliefs. So we seek out information which confirms our beliefs. And even when information, at least superficially to us, seems to contradict our beliefs, we'll tend to dismiss it or we'll, we'll perceive it or read it in a way which will... 
which will confirm our existing belief. So conf- confirmation bias, just generally speaking, is our, our brain's tendency to want to uh, read information, confirm information in a way that confirms our existing belief system. Okay. And unfortunately, confirmation bias has a positive correlation with engagement when we go to digital worlds, right? So yeah. I don't know why people think robots and AI and machine learning is unbiased. It's created by humans. It is by definition biased. And you add on a business model that is based on engagement and what you get is algorithm or algorithms that are designed for confirmation bias indirectly. We're calling design for confirmation bias. They're calling engagement just so they can raise more money and or show off uh, to to jump up the stock price. And the board wants more engagement, but ultimately confirmation bias. That's the issue. Confirmation bias plays out in a really creepy, sadistic way uh, that is that is uh, beyond your awareness on Facebook, on IG, on whatever else that you're consuming it on, on even Google News. You can type in. I feel like Matt and I would type in. Uh, I don't know. What's 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 a hot topic right now? Um, uh, immigration debate, you know, uh, green card debate, whether we type that in here versus you in Canada, we're probably going to get different results, right? So we're no longer yeah. talking about the Facebook feed. We're talking about something that we've given, we've put all our trust into Google and said, give me the right answer or as close to a right answer. They're not giving us the right answer when we type that in. They're giving us the answer that they think we will like. So that's how this confirmation bias creeps into all of our digital behavior and it shows you like-minded posts more because you're going to like them and you're going to share them. You're going to get pissed off. You're going to get excited. You go, you know, it keeps the engagement going. So my solution for that is follow people you don't agree with, go down to your Twitter and, and just, and just start following and liking stuff that you don't agree with. So that way you play onto this learning aspect of this algorithm so that way you get more posts. If you can't tell me, and I'm going to speak as, as an American here, if you're Democrat or Republican, you can't say one nice thing about the opposition party, you've been hacked, right? It doesn't yeah, matter yeah. how, they, you know, like you've been hacked. If you can't say, if, if you can't say one nice thing about public policy on the opposite side of the aisle, then that's you. You've done this too. You know, like how far are we willing to lean, lean in? And it's get, it gets harder to lean in when we're simply... Um, it's not even a nudge anymore, right? It's, it's not like Matt and I used to use the word nudges. You're being nudged. You're being nudged. Nudge sounds like a nice little like, hey, let's go out tonight. It's not a nudge. You're sitting on a chair. You're basically sitting on a wheel and the entire platform underneath you is being tipped. It's not a nudge. It's a massive tip and you're sitting on a circular freaking, you're sitting on a ball. And, yeah, and, and we need to, and the only way to tip it the other way around is, is you have to follow people you don't agree with. This, I mean, guys, like, well, having gone through the book, I know we could literally go for hours (laughs) on examples and, uh, you know, back and forth on on this, which, which maybe we need to do round two at some point. But I just want to respect your time and and, and the listeners time as well, and just start to get um, maybe just one prompt from each of you. And and whether that is a a reflective prompt that helps you with your own life, just personally, or directly related to, you know, the topic we've been speaking of. But as you know, I'm obsessed and collect questions, so I can't leave without uh, directly getting some prompts from you guys. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll give you a couple of my personal ones. So, yeah. you know, I, I was a, uh, a note-taking nerd when Evernote was the only app, and I have all these self-written notes and j- way before you wrote your app, Mark. I've been journaling sure. on Evernote. And one of, the, one of the things that I converged on 
Um, this is personal life, but it applies to businesses. It applied to Matt and I writing a book together. It applies to our startup. It's the use of the word should. Hmm. That has been my trigger point. If I find myself using the word should, that is a reason to pause. Should what? There's an expectation. There's, there's a lack of self-awareness when I use the word should. So that's one. Um, the other one is, am I persevering or am I holding my breath? Okay. Um, okay, like that. you know, and that's, and that's one that during, during COVID was super important, right? COVID was the biggest example of that. Uh, COVID happened and I was holding my breath. I'm like, ah, eh, I don't have to work out. I don't have to do all the things that keep me mentally well. I don't have to journal. This is just temporary thing. And I'm holding my breath. I'm holding my breath. I'm holding my breath. You can't hold your breath for six months. And when I realized I was no longer persevering and adjusting, I was simply holding my breath. That gave me this slight little pressure relief valve. Um, and the other one, the last one is something that we talk about in blindsight. We talk about it in the book, but as startup people, as marketers, as product creators and consumers, it's nice to ask this question. Is there a transparent trade of value, right? In everything yeah. we do, are we, and what, you know, it is, it's, it's very clear why Facebook is useful, but it's not transparent how they're getting value out of me for the average person, far from it. Right. And, yeah. and, and, and with affiliate marketing, yes, now they have to put ethic statements. So that is a transparent trade of value with all the affiliates that make millions of dollars from nerd wallet to insert name here for an affiliate company. They're open about it. Trust our opinion, but also we need to make money. That's a transparent trade of value. Is there a transparent trade of value happening with your favorite app, your favorite brand? Ask that question over to you, Matt. Yeah. I think for me on, on a personal level, I think, one thing that um, is is really important for for well being is trying to avoid counterfactual thinking, and by that I mean comparing the present moment to some other possible experience you could be having. So you know you're you're you know sitting down and you're you know enjoying a movie or something, but in the back of your head it's like, well, I could have you know picked that other movie, or I could have. You know, I could, I could be writing instead of watching a movie. I should be writing. Shouldn't I be writing instead of writing? You know, you're sort of thinking about what you could have done. Um, and so I think for me, a lot of my reflection is, is trying to avoid this, this counterfactual thinking. So, you know, in the present moment, what am I comparing this present moment to? And if there's a really, really, really compelling reason I should be doing something else, then maybe I should, you know, think about that, incorporate it to my behavior. Um, but if not, it's good to realize that I'm, you know, doing the best thing I can possibly do right now. And, and to really be present in that. So uh, a lot of, for, for me, a lot of my reflection has to do with trying to, to avoid or mitigate this type of counterfactual thinking. Love it. Love it. Well, guys, these are great. I, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you because I, both of you, because I know at the beginning of the, the podcast, we talked a little bit about you guys coming into kind of, you know, one voice and finding those, you know, your individual voices and, and mixing them together. And, um, People who haven't read the book, you'll you'll feel that obviously uh, in a great way in the book. But I think you've just got a great preview of that on this show. So I just want to give you some virtual high fives because just seeing that the dynamic on this interview and you know bringing in the examples, backing it up with the science, like it it was really fun to watch this even as as the host. So thank you for <laughs> for uh, for doing it. Hey, thank uh, you for having us. 
Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. No, thank you so much for having us, Mark. And I think your your line of of work, what your, your passion has led you to, is a really important thing for for us as a community right now. I think really, uh, you know, focusing on the the elements that are making us happy, really trying to you know get that down in terms of journaling and writing. I think that's an important message to get out there. So thank you as well. I will take that, and you guys have the best day yet. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark.